1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shape of Work podcast and for this episode we have with us Lakshmi Srinivasan. Lakshmi is the founder of the Outcast Collective and is here to share some of her brilliant views about the future of work from the DI lens. Hi Lakshmi, thank you for joining us on this episode. Thank you so much Archid for having me. It's an honor. So to give some sort of brief background to our listeners, could you please take us through your career journey so
0: far? Okay, first, uh, thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, this is, uh, as we said, you know, June is a Pride Month and we have also kickstarted our campaign through uh, for the Pride Month and uh, also building more awareness and sensitization about what Pride really is uh, for organizations. So this is a great opportunity for me to also talk about um, uh, not only me, but of course the Outcast Collective. So uh, this has been the 22nd year, it's been 22 years that I've been working in corporates. Uh, my background has been in the learning and development and organization development space. So I started with service. Uh, I did some uh, marketing and business development and moved to collections for credit card company like American Express. I realized sometime around 2009. In fact, I started in 2001. uh, But in 2009, I realized that service, business development, marketing, none of these um, yeah, interest me anymore. Does not motivate me anymore, and hence I was looking for something where and in which space where I could continue my career. And hence I moved into learning and development. Since two thousand nine, I've been working in uh, working in the LND space, uh, doing consulting for people development for various organizations, starting with organizations like Bajaj Finance to Kotak Mahindra Bank. To access to uh, Altadeximens, to Aditya Birla, and there are multiple other organizations that I work with. I work in various sectors, whether it is NBFCs, banking and finance, IT, or manufacturing se- manufacturing sector. So I do design solutions for people development for various organizations at multiple levels. So that's been something that I've been doing. I recently moved into uh, into DEI, which is Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Uh, we started our journey in 2000, uh, actually 2019. Uh, that's when the Outcast Collective was born. And I founded this company along with Vitu And that's the journey of, that's, that's been the journey so far. Yeah,
1: definitely. And I myself follow Outcast Collective. So I know uh, the good work that you guys have been doing. So, kudos for that. And uh, I'm sure our listeners would also want to know more about it. So, could you please enlighten us more about the Outcast Collective?
0: Yeah. Uh, the Outcast Collective, as I said, uh, we started to in in the November of 2019. Uh, the idea with which we started the Outcast Collective, I mean, the very name, a lot of people come and ask us that why this name and our tagline, which is drawing the margins to the center. Uh, the idea with which we started was uh, we realized that most of the the conversation, the difficult conversations, so to say, with respect to the LGBTQI folks or people with disabilities or neurodivergence or caste conversations, right? None of these conversations really take place in the boardroom or uh, uh, all of these conversations are always kept outside, right? And we realized that uh, yes, organizations do diversity and inclusion and equity work, but they take it as an additional. Uh, additional vertical you know it's not a part it's not the core to all of the conversations or every work that they really do and hence we started that how can we bring these difficult conversation into the broad room to the center of every conversation every people development or hr conversation that really takes place within the organization Uh, and why only hr even product development, even services, right? Everything that you do within the organization must have the diversity, equity, and inclusion lens. Uh, and hence, we started. So, uh, the Outcast Collective essentially is an advisory and consulting firm. Or we do posh uh, advisory and consulting as well as diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, where we help organization, you know, do end-to-end services for them. For example, we work with startups where they, when they are just starting the starting the, the DEI journey, so to say. So we help them identify uh, what their really business goals would be with respect to DEI. Uh, we help them frame their charter, the diversity, equity and inclusion charter, help them identify what kind of initiative that they could really take help them design policies uh, or reassess their current policies, help organization design zero tolerance or anti-discrimination policies within the organization. So we do an end-to-end work uh, with respect to diversity, equity and inclusion. So um, as we say, we have clients right from startups to large format organizations where the employee strength could be 60,000 plus. So uh, we work with various organizations with uh, when we, when it comes to our di work we not only focus on gender uh, as diversity uh, agenda but we work at the other uh, marginalized groups as well whether it is lgbtqi people with disabilities or people who come from different castes and we've seen that the current um, in the last five or you know, five years or so that uh, western western countries have realized that how caste is a discriminating factor and hence that needs to be taken care of as well so we work with organization to bring that conversations as well so uh that essentially is doc in a brief or the outcast collective in the brief amazing work so
1: as you mentioned that you have a clients ranging from you know from the startups to corporates so how do you see corporates or organizations adapt into the concept of dei and do you think some it can be something which obviously like rightfully it should be something to the core of the organization and not just like mm. a, a occasional activity that takes place in the organization it should be a routine thing
0: Absolutely. In fact, uh, uh, you know, as we as I said earlier in the beginning of our conversation that we have started our campaign uh, for the Pride month since June is just from the corner. So some of the organization that we've worked in the past have come back, have reached out to us for their pride agendas. Uh, and when we reach, when we ask them as to what have they done post our initiatives that we did uh, last year and uh, uh, not to our surprises, but they have done nothing. Right. And it becomes that the D- DEI agenda is more seasonal, more topical than really making it at uh, making it uh, the core of everything that they really do. So uh, we see that uh, India Inc. is definitely open to diversity equity, and inclusion work, but it's just happening, uh, as you said, like a seasonal um, uh, or occasional event. And it is more event based. It is not it is not people development based. It is not um, and develop, not from the perspective of that this is what we want to do as an organization, but more uh, but more seasonal, occasional event based. So, yes, there is definitely a lot of scope that organization can reassess what they want to do with diversity, uh, with DEI. Do they really want to, um, uh, you know, in, um, enhance their DEI agendas to only gender? So, for example, another instance that I want to share here is Many Indian organizations only when they speak about DEI, they only restrict their conversations to women. Right. And my and my uh, biggest grouse with most organization is that when we speaking about DEI, it just cannot be one underrepresented or a marginalized group. Uh, DEI and inclusion, the very idea of inclusion really means that uh, we provide the supportive workplace uh, for every uh, for every individual or every employee within the organization. Right. So why only restrict to gender, to, to women? Yeah. Why cannot be that when we start our uh, uh, inclusion agenda, that it encompasses every other underrepresented or every other marginalized group. So uh, it could be uh, PWD, it could be NDs, or it could be LGBTQI folks or any other uh, groups for that matter. Why only women? So um, in that sense, I see that um, there's definitely a scope for a lot of things that can be done. And also that organisation must look at DI not only with employees, but also extend. So for example, we see that when organizations develop products or services, they are they do not develop products for uh, the other underrepresented groups or with that lens. Or in fact, suppliers, when they hire suppliers or vendor partners, are they really looking at that, whether the vendor or the supplier uh, or the agencies that they're working with, are they DEI compliant? Do they have DEI lens when they're working uh, with them? Uh, so uh, the current... Um, Work we with, with which we are doing with a large uh, cement manufacturing uh, company within uh, with, within within India that we have uh, extended inclusion to the communities to the townships that. The organizations have, so it is not only within the uh, employees; it can also be extended outside the organization. Because, uh, uh, corporates are responsible and are uh, and should anchor their DEI initiatives within, and of course, extend that to outside. So, uh, they have a huge role to play. But I definitely see there's a huge scope, and uh, unfortunately, whether we like it or no, who who decides the DEI agenda? Right. So a lot of times that the CEO of the organization or the leadership of the organization wants to be wants to start DEI, want to do good work with DEI. But who is really accountable for DEI practices? And unfortunately, in most cases, HR folks, HR folks become the people who are driving, who are responsible, and who are accountable for DEI. I think that's the biggest fault, biggest uh, uh, you know uh, uh, failure, because it cannot be only the HR. DEI is everybody's agenda. And unless we do not make managers responsible, leaders responsible uh, for DEI uh, as a part of their KRA or as something that they, uh, they they should be hold you know held accountable for or should be measured in terms of performance, um, we see that initiatives start with a with a huge bang and with a lot of enthusiasm and energy, but it all kind of subsides and uh, fades away through the year, and then it becomes every June, every Women's Day. And all Women's Day celebrations are about, uh, and I, in fact, on my LinkedIn, I had posted this song, and I said that, uh, why is all Women's Day all about chocolates and flowers and spas? You know, uh, Women's Day conversation should be about uh, equity, should be about uh, fair pay fair pay and equal pay. So I think it just is just that um, everybody needs to be held accountable for DEI.
1: Yeah, definitely. And very accurately, you have mentioned that, you know, this is not something which should be limited to within the organization, but with the agencies, with the clients that they're working with, you know, with communities that they get to interact with. And within, even within the organization, it should be restricted to just HR, but should be there, you know, at all pervasive levels, so, yes. which is very important. So my next question, you've sort of answered it already, but I was supposed to, uh, I was about to ask you about inclusive, like how to make an organization completely inclusive, because when we talk about it, the usual or the main focus is on the gender inclusivity but there are other forms of inclusion as well so would you like to throw some more light on it
0: yeah uh, yeah i mean just taking the cue uh from what you just said that it is just not about the gender you know agenda right it has to be everybody so for instance uh look at the, the current uh, conversation that's happening about same-sex marriage and equal marriage rights i think that's something uh, that every organization must must really advocate and champion the cause because uh because um, organizations are seen as the forerunners uh for some of these difficult conversations, maybe the society is not so open to the LGBTQI conversations, but the organisations are, right? Look at the look at the MNCs, look at the IT con- uh, IT uh, organisations, or any any MNC for that matter. They've been they've been um, pioneers in terms of bringing inclusion uh, within the within uh, uh, within the country, so to say, or making it as a national uh, uh, conversation. But still, uh, organisations can do far better. Why are we? Why is that only the conversations happen? Happening within the 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 courtrooms or, or in in the in the court of law, right? It has to be conversation that happens every day. So, uh, can the can uh, organizations talk about it? So, not keeping the agenda only to gender, but also including everybody. So, for instance, uh, uh, caste being such a, a taboo subject, such a stigmatized subject, but something that has been so rooted in Indian uh, Indian culture. But Western Western countries are are uh, saying that we are going to uh, we are. Going to tag caste as uh, as anti discrimination and any organization seen practicing caste or for you know discriminating any individual any employee with respect to caste you know, must be must be held accountable for so some of these conversations so uh, gender definitely we have you know a huge scope of improvement with respect to women as an agenda but LGBTQI I mean we have diversity inclusion assessments and um, reports so many um business cases that has already been there there are enough research and data points to say that people um uh, uh, or uh, queer folks or people who come from the LGBTQ community are huge asset and how can organization? capitalize uh, and make business sense, or as we call it, the pink money, right? Capitalize on the pink money. Yet, uh, yet we are still, we're still at the nascent stage. So for instance, large organizations are still talking about awareness of LGBTQI. And I find it very, I find it very uh, amusing that all of these organizations are seen as the names, whether it is FMCG or manufacturing or ITs, big names, and yet we are still at the level of creating awareness of what LGBTQI really means. Yeah. Yeah. So, in my opinion, if, if inclusion is the agenda, if inclusion is what the organization wants to build in, uh, then. It has to go uh, full throttle and bring in all marginalized groups. Yes, the execution might happen uh, in uh, in a step by step process because obviously it takes in a lot of lot of effort to not only just saying that you know this is what our this is what our DEI charter is, this is what our goals is, but we also want to bring in systemic changes, you know, policy changes uh, and infrastructure changes. You know, so for instance, if a neuro if we want to hire people uh, with disability or if you want to hire people with neurodivergence, is the system ready? Is the organization ready? So execution can happen on a step-by-step or a journey level, uh, you know, like a roadmap level or a step-by-step kind of step, kind of thought process. But at least we need to start thinking that we need to bring in everybody and have representation from underrepresented groups and not only make it women. Yeah. Yeah,
1: definitely. And I feel there's like a long way ahead line for it and i'm sure there comes a time when we you know it's just like a very normal routine thing for us and we don't have to discuss it very explicitly as we do now Um, so what are um, since you've been working in for a while so what are some of the best practices for creating more diverse and inclusive workplace that addresses unconscious bias because there's a lot of unconscious bias as well when we talk about it it could be within you know the colleagues employees already working um or it could be coming from the management or the leadership levels as well
0: yeah yeah definitely i think uh... Uh, unconscious bias is something uh, kind of manifested in every everything that we do within the organization, right? Right from from the basics of recruiting somebody, uh, uh, recruiting and hiring somebody to training somebody, uh, it also kind of uh, manifests and have negative impacts on people with respect to their promotion, with respect to succession planning, all build, building the talent pipeline. It just manifests every single way. So uh, some of the best practices that organizations can really look at is just begin, I mean, look at the entire life cycle of an employee. I think we have to look, uh, we have to also um, see how an employee enters an organization. You know, what is the first touch point that the that the employee really has? And if we begin from the, from the perspective of the employee life cycle and look at each of these touch points a little more carefully with a lot of empathy uh, and with the DEI lens, uh, you will realize that there is... There are umpteen number of biases that we all, you know, it just happens unconsciously. So, for example, one of the organization that we were consulting uh, some time ago, that with the SG goals uh, of uh, the UN SG goals of uh, increasing the number of employee or the percentage of women employee uh, to 30%, if that's the, uh, the the 2030 goals, one of the largest bank in the country wanted to increase um, women employ, And of course, currently, there are just about 6%, which is... Look, seeing, looking at the banking sector and they said that we want to increase the number of women employee and when we just asked very basic questions to them as to what is your recruitment process and they said that yeah we recruit people uh, we go to universities, we go to campuses and recruit uh, people from there and I said okay so what are the different steps are you really taking to to attract more women talent and they said that yeah we have we send this panel and would you be and again very amusing and the panel that goes to hire, all of them are men, yeah. And uh, the very basic question that they really ask, and again, not surprising, that when they ask questions to uh, to women, when when a when a woman talent or a woman candidate comes in for an interview for a financial services, they ask extremely technical questions. Versus when a when a male candidate comes for the same job, they would not ask as technical or as uh, technically banking or finance related questions because the bias that women have to prove more with respect to banking and finance and it does not come naturally to them. Just the bias. And hence... Uh, it, so we need to really look at every touch point. You know, just as basic example as this. So one, of course, go back and look at your employee lifecycle as to what are the touch points that we could, you know, pick up and see the um, the biases. Uh, the other thing that organization can really do is to one is when you when you bring in the talent, what are you really doing to to make them to to build that stickiness. You know, again, a peculiar problem that we've seen that the the underrepresented or a marginalized group is something that you want to hire because you want to look, you look, you want to look very forward when it comes to inclusion, but you have done very little to make them stick into the organization. You know, uh, have you sensitized the current employee base? Yeah. So they don't sensitize the current employee base or they would not um, make policy based change or infrastructure based change when you want to hire the kind. So one is, of course, look at the employee life cycle. Two, prepare the, the, the current um, set of people within the organization, the leadership within the organization. How do you welcome, how do you create inclusion or the psychological safety? you know, safe work, uh, safe experience for people who are coming in from the marginalized spaces. Yeah. So that could be um, that Uh, recruiting more diverse um, talent, not only women, but also looking at the other talent. And uh, so the other things that can be done is facilitating inclusive onboarding. Right. So what does inclusive onboarding really means? That is when you have induction programs, when you uh, bring people within the organization do you also include DEI agendas and definitions and goals or the vision of the organization? Do you help people know what the DEI goals and visions really are? Because that's the first brush of, of uh, employees who come into the organization. They're looking up to what the vision, the goals, the, the big picture really is. And if your induction or your, your onboarding process is not inclusive enough, yeah, uh, are we really doing enough? So, you know, having facilitating inclusive onboarding. Uh, I also think that, uh, LD initiatives, right, can be again a huge area where DEI can be can be um, weaved as a part of the process. Yeah, so making sure that consistent training and conversations and content have DEI lens to it. Uh, it just cannot be that I'm doing my training programs, but I but uh, again uh, the facilitators or the language that we use are not inclusive enough. Yeah, so for instance, most of the meetings happen and people are okay with the words guys. Right? Are we making those language more inclusive? So it begins from there as well. Communication that that goes around, whether it is intra-communication or external communication, is that communication inclusive enough? Yeah. I see that in fact JDs, the way the JDs are are designed, the way jobs when you're hiring uh, talent words that we use, which are conventionally very male-dominated, yeah, or, or masculine in nature. So can we relook really at that? Uh, and, you know, so uh, L&D, JDs, all of this. Mm, I also think that um, just to boost retention, you know, within the organization, you see that many organizations begin uh, – as I already mentioned, they want to bring in these underrepresented groups, but they don't they do very little to really retain them. So making sure that how do we um how do we use our employee engagement or uh, uh, employee engagement uh, activities, which can help to boost retention of uh, the marginalized groups. So all of these, you know, some of the in fact, using uh, analytics, uh, measuring your efforts uh, and as simple as if you are not measuring anything, it will never be. It will never be, uh, you know, enhanced or it'll, it can never be developed for that matter. So, are you really assessing, measuring, analyzing your own data points with respect to DEI? Uh, so, so some of these definitely using technology to enhance your DEI practices as well. So, there are many things that can be done, but these are just the uh, the low hanging fruits and at least the basic steps that any organization who wants to start DEI journey can pick it up from there.
1: Totally, totally agree. And since you mentioned your last line, the technology has sort of of also entered the picture. So my last question to you would be, like, what is the role of technology in accelerating the DEI agenda in the organization?
0: Uh, I think, again, India is still a little slow in picking up technology. I mean, as we said that we are still, you know, for the lack of any better word, at the baby steps of really building awareness about what uh, intersectionality is or what, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion really means. While the the Western world has moved towards belongingness and justice, yeah, but we are still we are still uh, really struggling with the the first steps of diversity and inclusion. But yes, uh, technology definitely can do uh, play a huge role in really accelerating the very process of DEI. So, so for instance, um, just to monitor biases, can can technology be used to make sure that we are using we 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 are hiring in a in a certain way where Some of the resumes or the CVs that come into the into the organization or to the the, the talent hirers are masked. Yeah. So using technology to monitor biases uh, or AI powered tools to integrate organizations, communication platform uh, with communication platform uh, just to track uh, the cultural insensitivities, the language right, that we generally uh, as an organization use. So just to track our cultural insensitivities, we could use these tools. Also to see that, pick up what is the pulse, that what is the the customer or the consumer or the market is really speaking about with respect to our social media and hence make recommendation how to boost inclusion. So we could look, use, you know, AI power tool can definitely be used as well. Technology can also be used to to capture feedback to to capture employee voices you know so anonymous sophisticated surveys and communication mechanisms can be can be utilized also to prompt uh, employees to, to dig below the surface you know some all of these uh, discrimination discriminatory conversations happens like an undercurrent yeah it's never in your face it's not very obvious Uh, yes it's obvious for people who understand intersectionality and DEI but not not for others who are uh, for the lack of any better word are ignorant or do not have that awareness so to say yeah so how do we use uh, anonymous platforms survey platforms to prompt uh, employees to share their views share their feedback with respect to DEI issues or any kind of discrimination um, that they're going through bullying for that matter any stereotypes that really is happening within in the teams, yeah. Some of those conversations or microaggressions, some of those conversations can be picked up uh, through anonymous surveys again using technology, uh, which will, which can actually provide meaningful data uh, f- for the organization to to enhance to better their their organization culture. Yeah. So um, so that could be another area. Uh, in fact, um, I think uh, if not if I'm not wrong, Mentor Loop again another technology uh, company where you know, which allows companies to, or organization to build and run successful mentorship programs for diverse employees. Right? As we said, one of the major concerns for organization is the retention or the stickiness of marginalized groups when they are underrepresented groups when they come. And hence, can we use uh, a technology to find mentors uh, to make sure that we create that one-on-one mentoring, uh, you know, a deeper level of conversations or education uh, as to how can they move forward within the organization. Uh, so all of this can be done through technology these are these are very initial conversations but we are uh, using virtual reality uh, platforms to deliver um, lived experiences uh, modules or learning modules yeah Uh, as to help uh, the 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 employee base to teach them or sensitize them about topics such as gender about caste race uh, about neurodiversity or biases in, in interviewing or how to really uh, have conversations with folks coming from the LGBTQI community or queer folks right all of this so even uh, some of these platforms can be used to have difficult conversation um the idea here is that the, the very aspect of VR creates this whole illusion of having a conversation one-on-one, and hence building more empathy, uh, building more real, uh, real-time uh, experience for for individuals, and hence uh, creating the awareness sensitization uh, for the employee. So, so there's a huge scope for technology in every in every you know in every areas of the employee lifecycle. But again, as we said, there is a lot of scope. Uh, but these are just the initial ideas that has really uh, started working or started floating, but yeah, long way to go. Yeah, definitely. And
1: thank you Lakshmi for sharing some of the most uh, brilliant insights with us. And I'm sure our listeners would also agree with me. So thank you for joining us today on this episode. I'm so, so grateful that I could do this with you.
0: I'm glad. And, thank
1: you for it. You too. and thanks to our listeners
0: for tuning in. I'm glad. Thank you so much for having me. I hope that uh, whatever little conversation that we had, uh, people find it insightful and pick up something meaningful out of this conversation. Thank you so much, Archit. Thank you.